This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. When Angie and I were in high school, we were dating. We actually met in high school. And I remember one Sunday, I grew up going to church. And one Sunday morning, we were at church and we were on the way to what they called Sunday school. It was a Bible study they would have before the worship service. And and so we were walking through the hallways of the church. We were running a little bit late. And so we cut through this corner classroom. It had a door in this hall and a door in this hall. We just cut through as a shortcut, trying to get upstairs to where our Sunday school room was. Both doors were open. The lights happened to be off in that room. But all we did was walk in the room, walk out the other side, go up the stairs. I'm sitting in Sunday school that morning, high school student, and all of a sudden my dad knocks on the door of the Sunday school room. And the teacher goes to the door, opens it, and my dad, I don't even think he said anything to the teacher, he he just looked at me and did that. And I went out in the hallway, and here's what he said. I was just told that you and Angie were in a dark Sunday school room, and you were in there by yourselves. Tell me what happened. Now, fortunately, my dad was the kind of dad that he trusted me, he believed me, but he was also the kind of dad he's going to get to the bottom and find out what's going on. And what had happened is one of the deacons in the church had been walking by when Angie and I were coming out of the room. He was not in the other hallway and didn't see how quickly we'd gone into the room and come out of the room, just trying to get to Sunday school. I mean, we're at at church. And so he told my dad that he thought something was going on. I explained it to my dad and everything was cool, but that did something to me. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but often religious people are not a lot like Jesus. Like that man made an assumption about me, about Angie, about our character, about who we were. He made an assumption and went and told my dad, where my dad's pulling me out of Sunday school in front of other people and asking me these questions, which I get it. One of my kids, I heard that, I'd probably say, hey, talk to me. But fortunately, my dad knew me, trusted me, and everything was fine. But the guy that, that did that, the guy that created that, the guy that assumed the worst, I don't, I don't think he looked much like Jesus, even though he's a leader in the church. Because I don't think Jesus assumes the worst. And and for a lot of us, for a lot of you watching today, you have your own bad church story. You have something that's happened in the past where somebody judged you, somebody was hateful to you, somebody was harsh to you. None of us have it all together. And yet so many people that are a part of churches, it's the great moment of pretending when they're around everybody else and they act like, they put on clothes and act like, hey, I'm dressed sharp, my life's sharp, everything's sharp, I've got it together, sucks that you don't. And it's the attitude of a lot of religious people and it's so contrary to what Jesus taught in Scripture. Jesus said, hey, the bottom line is to love God and love others. And religion has never really been thought of as loving. You think about human history and the horrific things that have been done in the name of religion. It's never been known as loving. And I think often we dive into religion because we want to better our lives. We want to know God maybe on on a deeper level. We want to improve our lives and, and we want to grow as a person. The problem is you can dive into religion and completely miss God. You can be full of religion and not have God. Religion has such a focus on keeping all the rules. But what you know and what I know is we just can't keep all the rules. It's impossible. Hey, you and I don't just let God down. We let ourselves down. 
I, I can't keep every commitment I make to myself, every promise I make to myself, and you can't either. Because we're born with something called a sin nature. Now that word sin, when I say it, I understand it's a church word and there's a little bit of a pushback and it, it can feel a little bit uncomfortable. But let me, let me explain what I mean when I talk about sin. Scripture teaches you and I are born with a sin nature. All of us. We're born with this ability inside. It's part of our core, part of who we are in humanity where we're going to sin. Now a sin is anything that's dishonoring or displeasing to a holy God. And so there are sins of commission, sins that I do, words that I say, actions that I involve myself in, thoughts that I think on purpose and focus on that, that are displeasing to God, sins of commission. There are also sins of omission, things that God would want me to do, things that God would want me to say, thoughts that God would want me to think about and process and focus on that I don't. And all of us have areas of our lives where there are things, actions, words, or thoughts that, that are not pleasing to a holy God, that don't honor God. We're all in the same boat. We're all, we, we all have that sin nature. And this sin is what creates a disconnect from God because sin can't be in the presence of God. God is holy. And so because we have this sin nature, we, we just can't keep all the rules. It's impossible. So I have a question. In light of that, how many rules can we break and still be okay? What's the number? How many rules... Can we break and still be okay with God, still be okay with other people, still consider myself a good person, better than most people? Where's that number? And, and who decides the number? Who gets to decide? This is the number of rules you can break, and as long as it's less than that, you're okay. And, and in the sins that we commit, that I commit, that you commit, the rules that we break, uh, what are the big sins that count, and what are the little sins that don't really matter? Like we, we in our mind classify, we know the big sins are committing adultery. We know the big sins are murder. We know lying can be pretty consequential in your life. That, that's kind of a big sin. Cheating, that can be, we rationalize some cheating is little sin and some cheating is big sin. Breaking the speed limit, maybe a little sin. I don't know anybody that doesn't break speed limits, so we decide, okay, that goes in the little category. But ultimately, when it comes to all of these areas of life where we are imperfect and wanting a relationship with a perfect God that's inviting us to call Him Father, in all these areas of life, who gets to decide what's big and what's little? Who gets to decide that's too much, you've gone too far, and that's too much sin in your life? Where's the line? Well, here's the reality. God is not shocked. God is, is, is fully aware that we can't keep all of His rules. He knows that. In fact, God knew before I was born, He knew before you were born, that we wouldn't be able to keep all the rules, that we would not be able to be perfect. We're going to lose our temper. We're going to have thoughts pop in our head that we leave there that we shouldn't. You can't control what pops in your head. You do control how long it stays there. God knew that that, that was going to be best. There would be times that, that we would grow frustrated or be impatient or not have self-control. God knew we would be like that. And even though God knows that about us, God knows the truth about you and the truth about me in this very moment, He offers His unconditional, deep, abiding love. A holy God that knows that I'm not holy, a holy God that knows that you're not holy, offers this, this deep love on such a level that He sent His only Son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. 
And we find, I think, what is one of the most incredible stories in all of Scripture. In fact, it's where we get the most famous verse in all the Bible. It comes out of this very, this very passage, John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's called the Gospel of John. It's the fourth, what we call, book in the New Testament. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all kind of review, give an overview of the life of Jesus. And Jesus has this encounter with the most religious person probably in all the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, what does that mean? Well, Nicodemus is the elite of the religious in that day. To be a member of the Jewish ruling council, you had to live your life and commit your life to a higher level of rules than anybody else. You had to memorize what's called the book of the Mishnah. It's 24 chapters long. You had to memorize it word for word. You had to be able to quote it. It covered rules for living in six primary areas of life. And you had to commit yourself and promise that you would keep every word of the book of the Mishnah in addition to the Scriptures. So there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, super religious, good man, trying his best to live a life that would honor God, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. He's saying, hey, Jesus, I'm religious. I've memorized a bunch. I've committed a bunch. I live my life in a very good way. But I've noticed there's something different about you. And there's something about you in the essence of who you are. There's something about the way you function. There's something about the words you speak. There's something about your presence around people that that it's, it's different And nobody could have what you have, whatever that is, if God were not with you, in you, if you were not God. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Maybe you've heard that phrase people talk about, they've been born again, and you've thought, what what does that mean? You know it's a religious term, but what does that really mean? Well, here it is. This is where they get it. John chapter 3 No one can can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. A a legitimate question. Surely they cannot, cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now think about who Nicodemus is. This is the most religious guy. This is the guy that if he walked in today, we would put him in charge. This is the guy who keeps all the rules. This is the guy that has it all together. And just like other religious people... He's so afraid of what other religious people are going to think that he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, the first Nick at night, right here, John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want all the other religious people to see who he's talking to. Because religious people are more aware of what other people think than what God thinks. And religious people, while trying to do really good in a lot of areas, are extremely concerned with what everyone thinks of them and wants everyone to see them as extra special, extra good above everybody else. But for Nicodemus, all this religion, a a ruler of the Jewish council, all this religion wasn't enough. It, It left him with a spiritual emptiness. And when religion wasn't enough, he he had to get to Jesus even if the conversation needed to be under the cover of darkness at night where nobody else saw, because the emptiness inside him, the the depth of emptiness in his soul motivated him, I've got to have a conversation with this guy that's the Son of God. 
And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus response is i think the same response you and i would probably have back in that day in that culture having this conversation not familiar with these terms nicodemus said what what, how what do you mean how is that even possible and notice jesus answered very truly i tell you no one can enter the kingdom of god unless they're born of water and the spirit you have a physical birth you've got to have a spiritual birth flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again and notice, Nicodemus again, how can this be? This is such a, a revolutionary thought to him because what, what he's believed, what he's lived, and what he's taught is that it's about keeping all the rules. It's about doing all the right things. It's about making sure you perform in a certain way and you're better. Making sure your good outweighs your bad. Making sure you're a good citizen. Making sure you're kind most of the time. They had rules for everything. Over 600 laws and rules in the book of the Mishnah. And that alone, not to mention the Scriptures. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, religion is all about what you do. But what you need the most is something you can't do. And hey, friend, that, that's, that's the same truth for you and for me. What you need the most, what I need the most, is something we can't do for ourselves. But I need to ask you this question. Are you so much like Jesus that even people who are religious see that you have something they're missing? I've never heard somebody say, man, I'm just, I'm drawn to really religious people. I'm drawn, I've, I've never heard that. There may be qualities they admire, but at the end of the day, don't, don't we all know that nobody's perfect? I mean, don't we all know that in crowds around people, especially on social media, that we're seeing the best version of people? Don't we all know that deep down inside, we're all broken, we're all messed up? And I've never seen people say, man, that the emptiness that I feel, how I'm messed up, I believe religion and pouring myself into just my behavior, becoming better. I've seen people try it, I've never seen it be sustainable, and I've never seen it help anybody in the long run. And Jesus is saying, you, you've had a physical birth, but you've got to have a spiritual birth. You can keep all the rules you possibly can, but nobody's perfect. None of us are perfect. And he says, unless you have this spiritual birth, you won't ever see God's kingdom. You won't ever spend eternity with God in heaven. You'll never know the presence of God personally in your life. You'll never know what it is to know God in a deep, intimate, personal way. And Jesus says in verse 10, Nicodemus, you're, you're Israel's teacher and do you not understand these things? He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he uses this phrase that, that Nicodemus would have understood. Being a member of the Jewish ruling council, being alive in that culture, understanding Jewish history, Jesus says something that is going to resonate with Nicodemus and help him understand what he's talking about. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. He's telling him there's a moment that you can become born of God spiritually or connected with God in a personal way. You've got the physical birth. You've got to have the spiritual birth. But, but this moment happens. And what he's expressing is, hey, just as Moses... And Nicodemus immediately knows what he's talking about. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, what happened? 
Well, Nicodemus would have known. It's found in the book of Numbers. The children of Israel, that there was a plague of serpents and snakes. And if you were bitten by one of these snakes, you would die. So you could be as strong as you want to be, a guy working out in the fields, laboring all day. And if he's bitten by a snake, no matter how strong he is, he dies. A mom that's just given birth to a baby in the house, no matter how loving that moment is, if she's bitten by the serpent or the baby's bitten by the serpent, they die. And it was this rampant plague. And the children of Israel were crying out to God and God heard their cries and he told Moses, he said, okay, I want you to get a serpent and, and put it on a stick and lift it way in the air and tell everybody that if you're bitten by a snake, look up to that, that snake on the stick and you'll be healed and you'll live. Now there was nothing magical about the snake or the stick it was put on. The power was in the obedience and the healing was in the obedience of just following what God had asked. And so then Jesus makes this statement. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent and those that looked to it were saved, the Son of Man must also be lifted up. And he was speaking of what was going to happen on the cross. And if everyone that looks to him will do that, that they'll be saved. And then, then we find the most famous verse that you find right under the eyes in sporting events on camera. You find tattoos about it, sometimes bumper stickers. The most famous verse in all the Bible comes after and in the midst of this conversation. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him... Now, that word believes is unique. Because sometimes we, have, we, we fall in this place of saying, well, I believe in God. This is not talking about an intellectual belief. Because our beliefs can change. I believe George Washington was the first president in America and it doesn't change my life. I believe a lot of things that I know, but they don't impact me on a soul level. This word that he uses right here, that whoever believes in him, it speaks of a kind of belief that goes to the depth of trust. A kind of belief that, in, that engages a trust deep in my soul that, that I'm going to live by, act on, and pursue what I'm saying I believe at a level that's deeper because I trust in that. So whoever believes, trusts, places their trust in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Hey, if you view God as an angry God that's out to get you and waiting for you to mess up and has this number somewhere, we don't know what the number is, but if you do too many bad things, then God's going to get you. You don't have an accurate definition of God. Notice what the verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. And His love for you is not based on your performance. In your worst moment, in my worst moment, God doesn't love us any less. And there's no one that has ever walked the planet that God loves more than He loves you. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. It's because God longs for a personal relationship, not a cold religion. God longs for a personal relationship with each and every one of us, so He sent His Son. And then He says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So all of us have a physical birth. But the question that determines your forever and my forever is, has there been a moment where you've had a spiritual birth? Today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. To trust in this one-of-a-kind Son of God. To look to Him and, and transfer your trust from your religion or transfer your trust from your trying to do better 
or transfer your trust from hoping it's all going to work out. Transfer your trust to Jesus and what He did on the cross and the empty tomb just for you. Because you have the ability to know God in a deeply personal day, in a deeply personal way. So if you've never done that, if you don't have a spiritual birthday, today can be your day. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. If you'd like to invite Christ to come into your life, forgive your sin, and surrender your life to Him, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need You. Jesus, I invite You to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. As best I know how, I commit my life to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, if you just pray that prayer with me, I want to be the first to say happy birthday. Today is your spiritual birthday. I'd also love to be able to pray for you by name today and throughout the week. If you would just shoot me a text, just send me your first name to 407-487-8311, 407-487-8311. Shoot me your first name. I'd love to be praying for you. I'd love to be able to send you a free gift. And so get that to me. I'll be praying for you this week. And then for anyone, if there are things I can pray for you about, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be praying for you throughout this week. Just email me at hello at c3church.cc. Hello at c3church.cc. I hope you have an amazing day. I hope you have an incredible week. And hey, let's remember this week, every single person we lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. And so let's ask God to love them through us this week. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.